Before we take a look at 1 Samuel 26, let's draw before God again in prayer and ask that his word may be a blessing to us. God and Heavenly Father, it is good to be able to read from your word publicly, and we thank you for that calling, and also that we could receive your word ministered to us, your word can be preached in season and out of season, and that it ought to be. We're glad for what your word accomplishes, what you set out for it to do. It really is a marvelous opportunity that's been given to know that when your word is ministered, that your spirit's at work. We're glad that we could be here to witness that and to receive your word by the blessing of your spirit. And may we use what we receive to the glory of your name. We'd ask that you'd accept our prayers for the sake of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be taking a look at 1 Samuel 26 this morning as we carry on in our series, although this is going to be the last of that for at least for a while. Next week we're going to start a, a mini-series that we do every year, right, when we're getting close to that focal point that we carry out traditionally of celebrating the birth of Christ. It's always, I know over my ministry, it's been, it's always been four weeks before, four Sundays before Christmas, and uh, this year is one of those times where those four Sundays all fall in December. That only happens three times on the calendar. Uh, whenever uh, it's set up like it is now, uh, and then also a couple other times uh, as the cycles go through. Otherwise, a lot of times we'll have one of those Sundays right after Thanksgiving. But uh, anyway, next week we'll be starting a series on how the Father sent the Son in accordance with the Gospel of John. So I look forward to being able to present those to you and hope that and pray they may be a blessing to you. But in the meantime, we're looking at 1 Samuel 26 this morning, and we'll read the entire chapter. It's somewhat the second bookend to what we heard last week out of 1 Samuel 24, where David spared Saul's life there, now he spares Saul's life again. We pick up our reading from 1 Samuel 26, verse 1. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakalah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakalah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai the son of Zariah, 
Who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then said Abishai to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please, let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die, or he will go down to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head, and the jar of water, and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went on over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the lord lives, you deserve to die, because you have not kept watch over your lord, the lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is, and the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, May they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day, that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. And Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. 
Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. God's blessings on his word today. The congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we talk about the value of Jesus Christ, maybe one of the places we think about that most is when you hear out of 1 Peter and it says to you and to me that we were not set free by gold or silver, right? That those, aren't, those are precious things. And we can think of other things that we liken that to, but it's not those things that have redeemed us, but we've been redeemed not by gold and silver, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's the blood that saves unto eternal life. But it's a life that's not just coming, but it's a life that's ours to live right now, where that value of Jesus Christ has its impact on the everyday lives that we live. That high value of Christ is something that David saw. We hear it repeatedly in this passage, how he valued highly the idea of the Lord's anointed, the Christ. How he speaks about that as he values Saul's life. And it's also something that is seen in how Dave, how God valued David's life. And uh, even as we had been reading there from 1 Samuel 26, you know, we got near the tail end there, and, and as we read that, you hear about that value ideal, right? Verse 24, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. God had plans for an everlasting kingdom that would come in the house of David, in Christ. And we get to enjoy being part of that kingdom as those who value Christ as Christians and it's those whose lives are valued by God as Christians. You know, that's kind of that spirit of what David is talking about here. He valued the Christ, and he prayed that God might value his life as that Christ figure, as that reflection of Christ. Well, that's, that's our calling too, isn't it? We're, we're to... Enjoy being part of that kingdom of Christ as those who value Christ. As Christians, as followers of Christ, as reflections of Christ. And as those whose lives we profess are valued by God for the sake of Christ. As Christians. That's what makes life worth it. Otherwise... The value of life is cheapened. It's futile. It's empty. And, and that's how a world lives it out when they don't know Jesus. Life is cheap. Life goes in the direction of death. It, it's a lifestyle of death. You know, we've talked about that in times past, did you know? Like, 
like, like the homosexual agenda or the abortion agenda. Where does that all lead? That all leads to death. Right? Or when you don't identify who you are, you don't know who you are. That all leads to death. But the other way is so, so much better, isn't it? When we value Christ as Christians and we know that our lives for the sake of Christ are valued by God. So we want to ponder a few moments on that value of the Christ as we see Saul spared, but also, in a sense, also about how David is spared. So first of all, the value of the Christ in the sparing of Saul. The passage views Saul once again in the opposite light of David. It's not exactly the situation like in in uh, chapter 24 that we saw last time, because this time instead of Saul, you know, he is pursuing David, but, but now it's not so much Saul coming to David, in at least not the way it's laid out, but it's David coming to Saul. It's not so much Saul coming to David with a chance for revenge, even though he's, he's going out for him, but it's David going to Saul, and there's a chance for revenge. It's a remarkable chapter, and we're going to get into that a little bit. Think, for instance, about the parallels that you find here between this event and when David encountered Goliath in chapter 17. Back in chapter 17, uh, David did something similar to what he does here. He walks into the camp of Israel. Only then, of course, he, he smites Goliath in the head with a stone. Of course, the head comes up again here, doesn't it? Because you got the spear by the head. But in this way, Goliath was delivered into the hand of David. Well, the same words are used here in our passage where David walks into the camp of Israel and now Abishai states to David that this is David's chance to pin or to smite Saul. Again, most likely when you see the reference to the spear being by the head, most likely in the head, with Saul's own spear. Like Goliath with his own sword. And part of the irony that you have here is that, it, that Saul is once again pursuing David like he, like David's a Philistine. We saw that in chapter 24, about how that 3,000 men entourage was used to try to come after David. That was what Saul did when he was pursuing the Philistines back in chapter 13. When, by the way, he was also told in verse 14 that his kingdom in that chapter, that his kingdom wouldn't endure because he couldn't wait for Samuel to come to give the offering. But Saul is, is also looked at here. Saul is viewed as somebody who is seemingly invulnerable, impenetrable, invincible like Goliath, because he's fortified by his commander, and he's, he's got all these men surrounding him. That's how he's laid out there, sleeping peaceably. And yet David's able to penetrate the camp, the camp, because the Lord, we hear, has brought a deep sleep upon the camp. And see, th there's an encouragement there for us, again, Right? Because of all the evil that you see, and you think sometimes evil is invincible and invulnerable and impenetrable. 
But we got to watch how highly valued we place, or how highly qualified we place evil. Because when you read a passage like this, it's, it's hard not to conclude, in part, that evil is asleep. Now, it doesn't mean it's not active. It doesn't mean it doesn't have an influence. It doesn't mean it doesn't have an impact. But when you are disrespecting Christ, you are asleep. You think about the calling of God's people in Christ to be sober-minded, to be alert, to be children of the day, to be awake as those who are of the day, who don't sleep at night like they are children of the night. These are the ones who are ready. That's what Christians are. They are ready for the coming of the Son of David. That's how we're to live every single day, you and I. Brass tacks. We are to be ready for the coming of the Son of David. You know, John the Baptist made ready the coming of the Son of David once upon a time. He was preparing the way of the Lord. Well, we're doing something similarly today. We are waiting for the coming of the Lord again. Not to Bethlehem, but to put an end to everything and start up a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And the enemies of David aren't ready. Abner and Saul and his camp were not ready for the coming of the Christ figure. They were asleep. They were not prepared. They were blasé. They were caught unawares, like a thief in the night. And that's the kind of world that we live in, isn't it? It's an evil world, but it is a sleeping world. One that when Christ returns, it will catch them off guard like a thief coming in the night because they're spiritually asleep. It's a world that sleeps as if the Christ, the Son of David, is not returning. And, and that's, see, we, we're in one of those camps, aren't we? Right now, you and I are in one of those camps. We are either in the camp where we're believing that Christ is returning, and we're living like that, and we're believing like that, or we're the other way. And we are just living. But we're not living with Christ in mind. We're not living with the idea that one day Christ is going to return. We're in one of those two camps. We're called to be a people who live in certain hope. In anticipation with a living hope that's kept in heaven for us. So that we can be children of the light. So we can live a bright light before the world because we know what's coming and what's coming for us in Christ and what others ought to consider important for themselves too, what they should value. We're called to be people who value Christ. We value what he did. We value what he, what he says. We value what he promised. That he's coming again. It's why scripture says to us, awake, O sleeper, 
and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So you can shine on others. In your homes, in your neighborhoods, and the places of your vocation, and all of those things, as, as to your spouses, to your children, to your parents. And it's really all about repentance, isn't it? It's about worshiping the Savior, about purity, about a sober life, about putting Christ before everything. It's about worshiping, worshiping Him above everything. It's about loving our wives, being devoted to our husbands. It's about valuing Jesus Christ as our all in all. And this is something that David showed himself doing in our passage again this morning. He expressed value on someone who, who in himself showed himself to be a fool. He was a shell of the Christ and the true Christ, what the true Christ was supposed to be all about. But he was the Lord's anointed. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah of sorts. But Saul was more like Goliath. He was the Antichrist. He was more that than he was the Christ, regardless of the office that he held. And so you see the emptiness and the cursedness of which our, we read about here also. David takes from Saul his spear and his water jug. Now when David took bread and a sword from Goliath back in chapter 21, that led to the murder of many people. Death was the way of Saul. But when David takes water and spear from Saul, it's life that's valued. <laughs> the life of Saul, the Lord's anointed. But there's more. Because we know about that spear, don't we? We've read about that spear a few different times. It's the same spear that Saul tried to use against David three times. Twice in chapter 18, verse 11. Now notice that Abishai said that he wouldn't need two chances to spear Saul. One would be enough. But Saul tried a third time in chapter 19, verse 10. And then he also tried to pin Jonathan in chapter 20, verse 33. Saul wanted to smite David and Jonathan with his spear, just like Goliath, who came against David with sword and spear. They're the ones with the spears in 1 Samuel. It's Goliath and it's Saul. And you remember what David had said about all this. All those gathered here, when it, was, when it came to Goliath, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Because the battle's the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands, 1 Samuel 17, 47. And yet Saul also wants to smite David like David smote Goliath. The spear is the way that Saul wanted to do in David. He wanted to pierce David. And actually, Saul wanted to smite David like Goliath wanted to smite David too. He wanted to pierce David. It's, it's the spear that symbolizes Saul's way. It's, it speaks of death and emptiness and vanity. It speaks to the power of man that cannot save and cannot deliver. 
It speaks about man's futility to go his own way, to deliver himself. It's a self-righteous pursuit. It's a reliance on one's own power. Just as David speaks about Saul's pursuit of David. It's like a person searching for a flea and like a person trying to catch a partridge in the mountains. It just can't be done. It's an empty, it's a futile way of living. When you've got the spirit of Antichrist. When you don't care about Christ. It's a life that leads to death. And it happens all the time. Because it seeks its salvation in its own power and it'll never find it. And its own way. And not God's way. And it doesn't value God's way. It doesn't value the life of the Christ. David valued the, the life of the Christ. Saul did not. Saul wouldn't hesitate to pierce David with the spear. Though David too was the Lord's anointed. But David's not going to have any part of this. Uh-uh. Because he knows that it's not the power of man that's going to deliver him. It is not the power of man that will save him. God would deliver him out of all tribulation. The power belongs to God. With him belongs the way, the truth, and the life. And Saul had left that grace behind. And when he did, everything ended up going nowhere. And it all led to death. But you notice that David doesn't keep the spear, does he? He says, bring somebody over and pick up the spear. He gives it back to Saul. That's because Saul seeks salvation with the spear, with his own power, with the power of men, but not with the grace of God. But David kept, kept the water jug because that spoke a life. There's no life in the way of Saul and therefore to give back that water jug wouldn't be right. There's no life for us either when we rely on ourselves for salvation, right? There's no life for us when we don't value Jesus Christ in worship, uh, when we don't value him by being obedient, by, uh, by disregarding life, right? The abortion way. When we disregard Christ, when we don't value Christ when it comes to our calling, we don't think about it. You know, you look in the world that's out there. They don't want to work. There's no such thing as a Protestant work ethic. We talked about that. Why is it? Because they don't value Christ. They don't have this sense that they're working for somebody besides themselves. And so they don't, they don't have that sense of vocation, right, of calling. That's what that is, right? It's vocalized. It's a, it's a calling that has come from God. They, they don't understand that. It's just a job. It's just work. And if I can get by some other way, that's fine. That's because you don't value Christ, who's your ultimate, who should be seen as your ultimate master. And people don't value Christ, you know, in their marriages. What God has joined together, let man not separate. They don't value that. Because you don't value Christ. Or you want to disrespect your parents, boys and girls, or young people, because you think you know it better. Your folks have been around forever. Well, maybe not that long, but they've been around a lot longer than you. You need to respect them. 
right? And maybe you and, and maybe you do that. And and if you do, I would say it's because at least I hope it's because you value Christ, who tells you to do that, to be like that. You live in a world that doesn't want to respect anybody, doesn't want to give honor where honor is due, right? Because why should I do that? That just, that just puts me down and puts somebody else up, and I don't like that. Well, too bad. Give honor where honor is due. It's all right to bend the knee. It's all right to give honor, to respect someone. For their office sake. For their, their station in life. To respect our elders. Those who are older than we are. Those who have been around the block a few more times. Because when we don't do that, we just, we just, it just leads to futility and emptiness and death. It's just not worth it. It's not. If you value Christ, you value life. You value your life. Your life becomes a meaningful enterprise, which it otherwise isn't. It's empty. Otherwise. And that value is that valuing is what David shows when despite all the foolishness of Saul, David refuses to pierce the anointed one of the Lord. He is not going to pierce the Christ. He leaves Saul's end to the hand of God. He says he, he might live a long life, he might die in battle, God might just take him at some point, but I'm not doing it. That's up to God. And so he honors Saul by sparing his life. Not as Saul the fool, which Saul himself recognizes himself to be, but as Saul the anointed of the Lord. And so instead of revenge, there's honor in the life of David for the sake of the honor of the Lord's anointed. He knows that his deliverance is by grace. And of course, Christ deserved that treatment even more, of course, didn't he? Pilate tries to wash his guilty hands of the matter. But if Saul deserved the sparing of David, how much more so was that not the case with Jesus? And yet what happened to Christ? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we're healed. You see, that piercing, that's what you and I deserve. That's what we deserve. We talked about earlier in Psalm 103, where we think that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Because why? Because Christ was pierced for our transgression. It's not what Christ deserved. But the value of Christ is in his, is his willingness to take the piercing that we deserve. The punishment that brings us peace. And so we sing, let the water and the blood from his wounded side which flows be of sin the double cure, save from death and make me pure. Takes my sin away, makes me right with God. And we still have opportunity to show that value. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Look, he's, 
He's coming on the clouds. Be awake for his coming. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Nobody deserves to be valued like Christ. And we can show it with our trust in his grace. We can show it in our worship. We can show it as we leave this place, as we eat and drink, as we go to bed, we raise up in the morning again. Because Christ is worth it. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. The value of Christ, I want to take a moment to look at this as well, that, that it's seen in David's sparing. Saul's sparing is temporary. He'll receive his just desserts in chapter 30 when his head's going to be cut off like Goliath's was. But that's because Saul is cursed. And uh, his is not the kingdom of man. But, but David carries the water jug, and life comes through his line, and victory comes through his line. Blessedness is found in his line. Faithfulness and righteousness is going to be found in David's line. The lasting kingdom is found in David. Saul is spared because he is the Lord of the Lord's anointing, but his sparing is just temporary. David is spared as well. His life is valued because he's the Lord's anointed, and Saul will not bring any harm to him. Victory is going to be found in David, and that's because God's plans for David are different than Saul's. As David valued Saul's life as the Lord's anointed, so also will David's life be valued because of the plans that God has for David. He's going to be pursued and alienated and all the rest, but that's not going to be forever because in the end, victory's in David's house. We know how Jesus was treated. He came to his own and his own esteemed him not. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who who was shamed like he was, who was persecuted for righteousness' sake like he was, who was treated as an alien like he was. But he was the Savior who was and is Christ the Lord. Because he was, and because he's so valuable, God raised him from the dead, gave him a name above every name, and we recognize there is no one that should be loved like he should. But then what about people today who share his name? What about those who shed tears for the sake of the name of Jesus today? Maybe it's in families where somebody has got somebody that's not walking in the name of Jesus. What about those who are persecuted for the name of Jesus? What about the blood that's shed and the scorn that's taken for the name of Jesus? Well, there's no less victory awaiting for Christians either. There's no less glory. There's no less reason to live in faithfulness and righteousness. No less reason to glory in Christ today. No less reason for hope. No less reason to stay faithful and true and right and awake. Don't fall asleep. Because the value of Christ is incomparable. There's no greater value. Nothing that you can trade. That's better than belonging to Christ. And so when the going is difficult for you, as it may be right now, or where you're tiring or you're growing weary, there isn't anywhere better to go to find rest for your soul. Nowhere. Nowhere. 
Nobody better, no one more valuable for your life than Jesus. And when we're tempted to trade that all in for anything else in our lives or in this world, let's think that through a moment. Because nothing's worth trading in for what Jesus gives us. Who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and it's, it's literally futile to think otherwise. You're going to live an empty life if you don't value Christ. May the Lord help us to keep that in mind throughout our lives so that everybody can see in us. As we're walking down the street, they will know that the most valuable thing in our lives is not the futile things of life. But it's the word and the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's good to be able to take a moment to be reminded again or to be taught today about how there is nothing more precious for us than Jesus Christ. Good news for our lives. Futile otherwise. But life to the full when we've known it. We pray that we will press forward in that regard. We value Christ and know that in Christ our lives are valued in your sight because Christ was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. We pray.